So there's lots of different opinions today about the Bible, right? All kinds of different views as it relates to this book, right? So uh, growing in popularity, or maybe it's always been popular, I don't know, is this idea that it's a book full of fairy tales and myths. And it's, you know, it's, it's a great book in the same way that Cinderella's a great story and Snow White's a great story. So these are full of great stories and they can teach us. There's others, though, that say are, are not of that posture, and they say, you know what, no, this book is just wrong. It's wrong about any number of things, and they highlight flaws and contradictions and inconsistencies, whether that's historical or scientific, whatever it may be, and they just attack it because they don't want it to have any place in our society. But there are people like Northgate Church who believe that it is truth, and we actually have our statement of the Bible printed on our website. You can go to our statement of beliefs. Um, it's publicly on our website, and I'm going to read it for you right now. I'm going to quote it for you. It says, We believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe the Bible is composed of 66 books, including 40 different writers writing over 1,500 years. Yet it has one consistent storyline running throughout. We understand the whole Bible is inspired in the sense that the holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture. We believe that in the original manuscripts, the Bible was without error in every part, historical, poetical, scientific, geographic, etc., and that is the final authority on all matters of faith and conduct, end quote. So to hold a position like Northgate Church does, it's growing more and more unpopular um, in, in the world today to hold such a position that it has final authority on all matters of faith and conduct. It's not a popular concept, right? I mean, a lot of people would argue that this is an ancient book far removed from our cultural moment today. And so this ancient book can't really speak to the cultural moment we're living in. A whole bunch of people in the world think it's racist, misogynist, homophobic, and that it teaches all kinds of hate. And we should throw it out or make it fit our cultural moment. But it begs the question... Fine, if that's your opinion of the Bible, but let's, let's just see what did Jesus teach about the Bible? Because there's still a lot of people in our society today, and they may not like sections of this book, they still like Jesus. They still admire Jesus, they still think he's a great teacher. So in that vein, what we're doing with this series as a church is we're saying, okay, well what did Jesus teach about the Bible? What did Jesus believe about this book that we have? And certainly, obviously Jesus didn't have this full book that we have, but he had access to what we call the Old Testament. So what did Jesus believe about the Bible? Anytime we're ready to tackle um, a topic like this, it's fair to uh, make the observation there's an enormous amount of content available on this topic. And for the sake of time, I'm focusing us on two topics this morning. But there are great resources out there beyond these two topics, and we'll share those with you this week in different ways. But for today, what did Jesus teach about the Bible? The answers for today are Jesus taught that the Bible is truth, and Jesus taught that the Bible is focused on himself. So those are the two things we're going to look at this morning. So Jesus taught that the Bible is truth. That's our first point that we want to highlight. So we can see his teaching in John chapter 17. So in John 17, Jesus is right before the cross, and he's actually in prayer. But in prayer, we can learn from what he is teaching us. And he says this in his prayer in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. He's praying for his followers. So in some sense, he is praying for you and I as we follow him. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
For the sake of time, I'm not going to take you through the other passages, but we could get to a point as we look at the other sayings of Jesus and see that when he says your word, he is referencing the written word of God. So Jesus believed that the word of God was the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus had access to and that they taught in the time of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The written word of God is truth. Jesus speaks very plainly sometimes. And this is one of those moments. The word of God is truth. Jesus said. So what did Jesus teach about the Bible? Jesus taught that the word of God is truth. In Matthew 22, you can make another point that supports it. Matthew 22, 29. It says Jesus in this passage is correcting the religious leaders of his day. Religious leaders are are off base on a topic. And Jesus is correcting them. And he says, you are wrong. Why are they wrong, Jesus? Well, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Implication there is, if you knew the scriptures, you would be right. But since you don't know the scriptures, you are wrong. Now, I like Jesus' approach in this moment because he's approaching these religious leaders and he's just starting off with, well, we can't really have a conversation because you don't know what you're talking about. I think it's a helpful thing we can learn from Jesus here. Most of the people you meet this week, if statistics are true... They don't know the scriptures because the people, the statistics are that most people that you're going to run into this week don't actually read the Bible. Most of them don't go to church. So they don't actually know the scriptures. And so we should be compassionate and graceful and patient with such people. However, it's fair to say that as you're in conversations with people, I mean, that's part of what's going on is the person you're talking to may very well be wrong, but they don't know the scriptures. But in the scriptures, there is truth. So we should invite people to the scriptures rather than invite people to debate. We should invite people, would you like to read the Bible with me? Could we look into what it actually says? And then together, as we look at truth, then we can have a conversation based upon what the word of God says. So the scriptures are truth. God's word is truth. And that's just one simple point that Jesus makes about the Bible. Now, for that simple point... We should acknowledge the fact that people will not just smile and nod and affirm that. Many people, your philosophical friends, will say, well, what is truth? And you could, you know, head down a rabbit trail of postmodernity and what truth is. But oftentimes what people are chasing after is this idea that they don't believe that the Bible is literally true, right? So you'll get a question like, well, you don't really believe the Bible is literally true, do you? It's not like like literal truth. To which I think the right answer to that question is, Well, I believe it's literally true where it's saying it's literally true. So I literally believe that David and Goliath lived and that David threw a rock, hit Goliath. He fell over. David kills Goliath. Like I literally believe that's true. And I literally believe that Jesus walked on water. And I literally believe he rose from the dead, that he was dead. And then he came back to life miraculously through the power of God. I think those are literal, historical, factual things. But I don't literally believe that Jesus is a plant. Right? The first service laughed at that. But it was, it was mainly because of Andrew. Um, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And I don't literally believe that Jesus is a literal vine, do I? Because that's clearly a metaphor. And so, yeah, there are parts of the Bible that aren't like literally true in the sense that Jesus is not a plant, right? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So he's not saying that he's literally bread, right? So we should concede the fact that, yes, there are parts of the Bible that are metaphor, that are illustration. We should concede the fact that almost one-third of the Bible is poetry. 
And so we can still say we believe that the Bible is truth, that Jesus taught that the Bible is truth. It's truth as it is revealed in poetry. It is truth as it is revealed in metaphor. It is truth. Sometimes that truth can be communicated through an illustration or a metaphor or a parable. But just so that we're clear, Jesus taught that the Bible is truth as it relates to history. Jesus in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Luke 11, he says that all the prophets from Abel to Zechariah, he references them as historical figures. Jesus says, uh, he references in his teachings, he references Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, and more. He references them as actual historical figures. Jesus in his teachings references historical moments, like when the manna came to the children of Israel as they were in the wilderness, when Moses held up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus references Sodom and Gomorrah. As much as we may not like that story, Jesus references it as a historical moment in the past. And so Jesus references the, the Bible that he had access to, what we call the Old Testament. He references it as historical truth. And then the two stories that oftentimes the skeptics will point to and say, well, certainly that's not true history. Oftentimes people will point to Noah's Ark. Or they'll point to Jonah and the, the fish. Matthew 24, 37 to 38, the words of Jesus. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So in Jesus' teachings, he's saying, if you believe that, that the Son of Man is coming, he's going to come back, then the logic is, then we must also believe Noah and what happened in the days of Noah. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 12:40 with Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is establishing a foundation that the word of God is truth. The prophets and all the people that came before him, the writings of Moses, he is taking them as historical truth. I think you can go beyond it and, and make the point that Jesus teaches that the Bible is true scientifically. Not that it's a scientific textbook, because it is not that by any means. But it is certainly true that Jesus believed and taught that God created the world. And that certainly has scientific implications. So in Mark 10.6, Jesus speaking, he says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Scientific implications to that statement, right? Jesus teaches that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Two genders, no more than that. In Mark 10, 13, I mean Mark 13, 19, from the beginning of the creation, God created until now. Jesus speaking. Jesus taught that God created the world, that that's truth. So that has implications as it relates to science. Because the scientific community today will tell you that you're a random product of chance. But that's not scientifically what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching, no, that you're a special creation of God created in the image of God, knit together in your mother's womb. He believed the Old Testament scriptures that tell us those things. This is an unpopular position to hold in the days in which we live. Many people will say that science and the Bible are incompatible. But I don't care how many times science tells me that I'm the product of random chance. I believe what Jesus taught and that I, that the world was created and I was created and we're a creation of God. I'm going to pause for just a minute here and just make a point. And this is just a little tip. As you talk with your kids that are in school or as you yourself process information, God can create the world with, um, 
with the appearance of age. Okay? So the scientific community, when astronomers study the far reaches of the galaxy, and they tell us that scientifically, through mathematics and all that we're finding, that the Earth is X number of years old. Well, I think God is in heaven saying, yeah, that's, I created it so that it would appear to be that old. Nobody believes that Adam was created as an infant. Nobody believes that Eve on day one of creation was an infant. We believe that Adam and Eve were created with age. We don't know what age, but we believe on day one of their life, they appeared to be of age. And I believe that when he created a tree, the tree appeared to be of age. And so it's appropriate as we study his world that he gave us, that we sometimes come to conclusions that it's very old. And God's in heaven saying, yes, I created it with the appearance of age, just like I created Adam with the appearance of age. And he's challenging us, I think, to hold to the teachings of scripture and to trust in him as a creator God. And, and science isn't in opposition to Christianity. In, in uh, Rebecca McLaughlin's book, Ten Questions Every Teen Should Ask About and Answer About Christianity, I referenced it two weeks ago. She has a great chapter on highlighting the history of modern science. And she highlights how the first modern scientists were Christians. And the reason they developed certain laws that we still follow today in the scientific process is because they believed in a creator God who uh, who was um, consistent, and they assumed logically that if a creator God is consistent laws that govern the universe, we should be able to discover those. And so they created the scientific method that we know today. Galileo was a Christian, and he, through his partially through his reading of Scripture, discovered that the earth revolves around the sun. Isaac Newton may not have been a Christian, but he certainly believed in a creator God. Michael Faraday is one of the greatest experimental scientists, and he was a passionate Christian. James Clerk Maxwell was a great scientist who figured out much concerning electricity and light, a strong Christian. Robert Boyle is one of the founders of modern chemistry, a Christian. Gregor Mendel, the pioneer in the field of physics, a Christian. George Washington Carver, a pioneer in agriculture and botany, a devout Christian. And there are still scientists today out in academia that are still Christians and still believe that God created the world and still believe that God created male and female. The popular storyline in society today will tell you that that isn't true, that they're not out there, but they are. They are out there. There are still scientists today who believe that Jesus taught that the Bible is true and they hold to the teachings that the Bible is true as well. Jesus said in John five forty six to 47, speaking to the religious leaders, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's saying, Jesus is saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Moses wrote that. If you can't believe that, then you can't believe me. Because Moses wrote about me. Now I would encourage you as um, people that want to be salt and light, sometimes um, you'll be tempted to bite at a lure of scientific debate. And I think oftentimes it's best to ignore that, that tempting debate about science and realize that before someone can really believe in a creator God, they might need to first believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Because unless you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's the son of God, then what in the world do you care about what he teaches you to believe? But if you believe in the resurrection and that he actually is God in human flesh who rose from the dead, then all of a sudden his words are so very important. And then you're ready to follow him 
Because he is actually God in human flesh who is talking. And now I'm ready to believe his words. To debate science till you're blue in the face may, may not get you to where you want to go. We've got to get people to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But I think the, the point that we want to hit here is that we live in a, in a time in which we have a crisis of what to trust. We have a crisis of truth. We have access to information. It's coming out of our ears. We have the internet. We have a 24-hour news cycle. We have never in the history of the world had more access to information. And yet we still don't know what is truth, right? I don't know what's true anymore about whatever it is. The coronavirus, uh, elections, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, right? Like, I don't know what's truth anymore, right? And it's frustrating, isn't it? It gets frustrating to live in our time and place because it's like, oh, what is true? And so what we have is a gift to give our society right now. The gift that we have to give them is to say, like, I get frustrated too because I have trouble discerning what truth is. But the greatest peace that I have in life is whenever I turn my eyes to this book and as I look at this book, I can be like, oh, this is truth. Jesus told me that this is truth. And so as I get lost and my head starts to spin with all the spin that's around me, I find peace as I come back to his word because his word is truth. Jesus told me, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And that's what we pursue. John seventeen seventeen said, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify is a religious sounding word. It just means set apart. So when Jesus was praying for you and me, his followers, he was praying, God and the Father in heaven, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. So as we go out into this world today, we should look different than other people. We should be set apart. Let me give you just one quick little example of what that could look like. We live in a time and in a culture right here, right now, where we're all obsessed with the news, aren't we? 24-hour news cycle, it's on our phones, it's in our face all the time. News, 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 news. And if we consume that news at the pace at which it's given to us, then all of a sudden we become people who are have some anxiety, right? Because fear gets headlines. And so we're plagued with fear and anxiety. And then we keep watching that news, all of a sudden it's like a doomsday feeling, right? Like, oh, everything is bad. Doomsday. And then a lot of times good Christian people will say like, oh, yeah, everything's against us, isn't it? Yeah, there's no way. There's no hope. I don't know what we're going to do living in this secular age. And, all. and we have this like pity party and we get down and we have anxiety. And um, Jesus' prayer in John seventeen seventeen set them apart by the news. The news is truth. No. Oh, set them apart by the news channel they watch. Because the news channel they watch is truth. Thank you. (laughs) It's not what it says. It says, set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. So as we go out into a group of people and and, then they're overcome, they're a bit fearful, they have a bit of anxiety, they're not sure what's going on, then we stand out in the midst of that world as people who have confidence. Why? Because in John 16, 33, Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I have already overcome the world. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we go out into this world and we are set apart from the other people out there. How? Because we have confidence. Because we trust in the word of God and God's word says that he is all powerful and sovereign. And there is nothing that can stop him from accomplishing his will in this world. And that's how we stand out. That's how we are set apart as Christians in this world. Confident trust in God.
not full of anxiety and fear and doomsday prophets, but as people who are confident that Jesus has already overcome the world. And that's a gift that we can give people in our lives this week, is to model that kind of trust in the Word of God. It is truth. One more thing that Jesus teaches us about the Bible. Jesus teaches that the Bible is focused on himself. Jesus teaches us that the Bible is focused on himself. That's easy to see when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because those books are the Gospels. Those are all about Jesus. You see them on every page. It's harder to accept that truth when you flip to like Leviticus. And you're like, I don't see how this book is all about Jesus. But it could be, to be fair, that when sometimes when we pick up the Bible, we're not looking for Jesus. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, when we pick up the Bible, it's because we need help. We're saying, like, I need answers, I need peace, I need comfort, I need something, so I'm going to go to this book to get what I need. And that's wonderful. That glorifies God. God is in heaven and so happy that you picked up his book. Some Maybe you pick it up and you turn uh, to a story like David and Goliath. I think God's so happy that you flipped there. You read it and you say, like, okay, so David conquered Goliath. I need to be like David, have faith in God. And I can overcome the giant that's in front of me today. I think that's good. I think it's good. But I think that God has something better for you in his word. Because uh, the Bible isn't actually about you. The Bible is about Jesus. So if we could see Jesus in that story, then we would get a better gift. And you say, well, I don't see Jesus in that story. And I would say, I agree. I don't see Jesus in that story either. But nor do I see you. I don't see you in the story, but it was very easy for us to project ourselves into the person of David, wasn't it? It was very easy for us to say like, oh yeah, I'm David, I'm not Goliath. So in that story, I'm David and I'm going to overcome the giant in my life because I believe in God. But in those moments as we read the Bible, when we have this natural inclination to see ourselves as the hero of that story, it might be good to pause for a moment, just a little tip in your Bible reading, and to say, well, what what if it's not me? What if that character is Jesus? Okay, what does that do to the story? Okay, then all of a sudden, if Jesus is David, then Jesus conquers the giant. Jesus has courage. Jesus is brave. And Jesus conquers the giants in my life. So I need to trust in Jesus, because Jesus has already overcome the world. Now, that's a better gift. That's a better gift, right? That's what God wants for you. God wants you to see like, oh, this book is all about Jesus. And in those moments when you can see it, oh, it's such a beautiful gift because then you don't go away from the Bible thinking like, I got to try harder to have bravery today. It's like, no, I need to, I need to trust in Jesus and that he has already overcome this situation. So, um, we get that. Yeah, let me get, let me show you where we get this from the God's word. It's in Luke 24. And this is from Jesus' teachings. So in Luke 24, um, Jesus is walking along. He's rose from the dead. And he's walking along the road to Emmaus. And he comes along two of his disciples. And at this moment in this story, these two disciples don't actually know that this is the resurrected Jesus. They think Jesus is, uh, you know, still in the tomb or they're confused. And so Jesus walks along in sort of anonymity next to them. And this is what he teaches them. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures... The things concerning himself. It's a wonderful teaching time to imagine. 
What would that teaching time have been like? As Jesus begins and goes through all of these Old Testament scriptures and interpreting them so that you can see how, oh, that was, that, that story was actually about me. Now, other people have highlighted this better than I can. There's a great sermon clip from Tim Keller. I'm going to borrow some of his language. But he says, well, so think of Adam in the garden and then think of Jesus in the garden. Adam in the garden gives in to the temptation of sin and with it comes sin to all of humanity. But Jesus is a true and better Adam. And when Jesus was in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, he did not give in to temptation, but rather he overcame it and he went to the cross and he dealt with the sin problem that Adam initiated. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Think of Abraham who is called to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was actually sacrificed for us by his father on the mount. Think of Queen Esther who risked her position in the palace and her very life to save her people. Well, Jesus didn't just risk his position in the palace, did he? He came down from the throne room of heaven and descended to this earth. And he didn't just risk his life, but he gave his life freely. Why? To set his people free and to save them. Jesus is the real rock. He's the real Passover lamb. He is the true light. He is the true bread. Jesus is the tree of life who died upon a tree to give us life. We begin to see this beautiful gift that God has given to us. And the scriptures begin to open up and blossom in ways that we've never seen before. As we see that it's all about him. John chapter 5 verses 39 to 40. Jesus again is correcting the religious leaders of the day. Religious leaders who knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. And he says to these religious leaders, he says, listen. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You seem like, oh, you religious people, you know this book so well. You search it and you think that in these pages is eternal life. But you've refused to come to me and all of these, all of these texts point to me. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus teaches us that the Bible is truth. And it's good that we go to it for truth. But this verse also helps us see from Jesus' own words that, that you can go to this book for truth and you can miss Jesus. We probably all have to have the humility to admit that we've done that. We've run to this book because we believe it's truth. As we search it for truth, we miss Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness and his love. But I think there's some people that may still be searching And you haven't yet found Jesus. Because you can read this book. And you can teach this book. And you can follow its teachings. You can obey this book. You can be sitting here this morning or sitting on your couch at home. And everyone around you just assumes you're a Christian. Because they know you go to this book. But if you go to this book for truth. And you haven't found Jesus. Then you haven't found life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as we go to this book for truth, until we find Jesus, we have not found life. He wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to have a bunch of truth in your head. He wants to be your personal savior, and that affects your heart. And I pray that each one of us this morning has found him in his scriptures and in your heart.
As we summarize where we've been, Jesus taught us about the Bible. He taught us that the Bible is truth, and he taught us that the Bible is focused on him. As I imagine this, to wrap this up, I think that it applies to two different ends of a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, there are certain people, maybe in our audience today, who need to be reaffirmed that the Bible is truth. Jesus believed it's true, and you should too. And you should have a confidence in this secular age to stand up and say, I agree with Jesus that the Bible is true. And I'm going to stand up against all the pressure coming against me to say that that's stupid or hateful or wrong. You need to stand with confidence with your Savior that the Bible is true. And that will set you apart in society. There's others of us, though, this morning that are other end of the spectrum. We have great confidence the Bible is true. We even have great pride in ourselves because we are set apart as someone who holds that the Bible is true. And in that spirit of confidence that the Bible is true, sometimes we go to its truth and we smack people over the head with it. Or we go to it for truth to win an argument. We go to it for truth to make sure that they understand that I'm right and they're wrong. And we go to the truth and yet we miss Jesus along the way. And his grace and his patience and his kindness and his truth. So wherever end of the spectrum you're on or maybe you're somewhere in the middle on any given day, you trend one way or the other. I hope that as we look to the teachings of Jesus, we might all see room for growth. We might all see opportunities we have to be set apart or to really find Jesus in that truth that we believe in. Let's pray together.